0: So this evening, I didn't really have a title for uh, the sermon, so this afternoon I was going through it and I thought, I'm going to call it A Lesson in Suffering. Now many of you will be thinking every time Tom preaches it's A Lesson in Suffering, but hopefully this one will be slightly different. <clears throat> We're going to start off by reading a passage from Philippians, not the same one we looked at last week, but Philippians is one of those books that every time you stop and read a passage and contemplate it, there's just so, it's so rich in, in what we can learn for our Christian walk today, So, a lesson in suffering. And we're going to start off by turning to Philippians chapter 1. And reading from the middle of verse 18 to the end of verse 26. Philippians 1, from the middle of 18 to the end of verse 26. Paul says this. He says, yes. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So, how can you read that and call it a lesson in suffering? It doesn't really sound like a, a lesson in suffering, does it? But let me ask you this How do you react in times of hardship and stress? I'm not asking for people to shout out answers or anything like that, but just a little bit of of honest self-assessment. How do you react to hardship and stress? Do you rejoice? Do you celebrate? Do you give thanks for what God's doing in your life right in that moment? Or do you do what many of us tend to do and almost press pause a little bit on the Christian character and in that split second snap, and lose it a little bit. Lose our way, lose our mind, get get lost in the confusion and the stress of the situation. I think if we're honest, many of us can identify with suffering the results of stress and confusion in times of hardship. But you wouldn't call this passage a lesson in suffering, would you, on first reading? You see, when Paul writes this, he's in prison. Prison is a pretty grim place to be. And actually, we know that despite Paul's positive, uplifting, encouraging tone, in actual fact, he's terrified. In 2 Corinthians, he writes about his time in prison, in Philippi. He says... We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in a province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. He thought he was going to die. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happens that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as, as you help by your prayers. So Paul's, Paul is quite open when he writes to the Corinthians that at the time that he was in prison writing these uplifting, encouraging words to the Philippians, he wasn't actually feeling particularly uplifted and encouraged. He wasn't feeling that tone of, of positivity that flows through the verses that we read just now. You see, Paul suffered. In his time in prison, Paul suffered. But he doesn't show it in his writing. He doesn't show it in his letters to the Philippians because he wants to encourage them. Despite what he's going through, he wants to encourage them and lift them up. He doesn't want to dwell on his suffering. You see, it must have been pretty grim for Paul in prison, but it must have been, in a way, even more grim for Paul's prison guards. Just before before the verses we read just now, it happens in Philippians, um, starting at verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul must have been a flipping nightmare to have in your prison. Suddenly, every prison guard is saying, oh, no, it's my show. I've got to go and do the corridor with that that Christian nutcase. Oh, no, he's going to keep on preaching the gospel. I've heard it. I've heard it so many times. Oh, dear, oh, dear. People, Paul is, Paul is saying, this is an opportunity. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. These are prison guards. They can't walk away from me. They're guarding me. They have to be there. I've got a captive audience, and yet I'm going to be the captive. Paul says, what an opportunity. Guys, this is brilliant being in prison. I've got people to talk to that I would never normally talk to. Paul doesn't dwell on the suffering of prison. Paul writes to the Philippians and he encourages them. He uplifts them, even to the point where he comes out with those fantastic words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, there's an extent that Paul is actually preparing the Philippians for the fact that he might actually receive the death sentence. We know from what he writes in 2 Corinthians that that actually he didn't know at this point what the outcome was going to be. He had no idea whether he was going to be set free or whether he was going to be killed for his faith. The Romans saw human life as pretty cheap, and so... Paul had no guarantee that he was going to survive this. So part of this uplifting message saying, for me, to, 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 to live is Christ, to die is gain. Part of that is preparing them so that if he died, they, they wouldn't immediately lose the one person upon whom their faith was hung, but instead they would say, well, actually, this is good. Paul said this might happen. Paul's now in heaven. This is great. We can, we can carry on and keep going. But it's not just that. It's not just that. Paul was well aware of what suffering was because he had inflicted it upon believers not too many years before. We know that when he was on the road to Damascus and he was struck down by the light shining, he fell to his knees and he heard the words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? We know that before then he had been present at stonings. Stoning is a, is a horrific act basically lobbing rocks at someone until they're they're no more than a a mush, a pulp. They're crushed to death by these things. This is not a pleasant way to go. It's not just a a glancing blow and then someone just gracefully falls down and dies. It's a messy, barbaric way to die. Paul had been present. He was actually going to Damascus with with arrest warrants to round up followers of the way, what the early Christians were called, and to bring them into prison, to persecute them probably with a desire to see them killed for their faith. Paul knows what suffering is. He's also more than familiar with the words that we'll hear later on that Jesus spoke at the Passover meal that we've now come to know as the Last Supper. When Jesus spoke about his body being broken, the blood being poured out, Paul knew that on the cross Jesus had suffered a a, a death so painful that there was nothing, nothing that could be said was worse than crucifixion on a cross in the manner in which Jesus endured it. And so Paul does not dwell on his own suffering. In times of hardship and stress, Paul seeks to rally those around him. Paul seeks to, to find some, a word to say, something positive, something encouraging. He doesn't say, woe is me. He doesn't snap and start saying harsh words to those around him. Instead, he starts talking about his faith. He starts talking about his rock, his God. He shows incredible courage. To Paul, prison is a win-win situation. To live is Christ. In other words, if I keep on living, if I get out of this alive, I've got so much more work to do, so many more people to go and to tell about Jesus. My life will be, will be consumed by, by spreading the word of Christ, by spreading the gospel. I've got so much more to do. That's what life is. But death is actually gain. Through death, I actually I go to be with Christ. I'm not just telling people about him. I'm there with him. So he says to the Philippians, I don't know what I'd rather do. I mean, to be honest, I'd probably probably rather save the work and go now. Be with him. But actually, I know that you need me and that together we've got a huge amount more to do. So, hey, this is a win-win. Whatever happens, it's good. Whatever happens, we can celebrate. This isn't a death wish, but this is an acknowledgement of reality. Death comes to us all. But death is not the end. Of course, death is painful. Of course, death is sad. And it's right, the Bible says there is a time to mourn. Absolutely right. When we lose someone, it hurts. It hurts terribly. But if they know Christ, we know it's not the end. Paul's positive attitude comes from a full understanding of Christ's suffering on the cross. So how do we understand suffering? What have we what have we been through in our lives that we would call suffering? Who do we know at the moment is going through some sort of suffering? And how do we react? How do we deal with it? See, suffering doesn't have to be a a huge, great, big occurrence, a massive crisis. Suffering can be something which, to those not involved in the situation, can seem fairly, fairly trivial. But as we said last week, nothing is trivial in the eyes of God. How many experiences have we had in the past week where we haven't reacted to a stressful situation or to a certain hardship in the right way. The good news is, as we said at the start of the service, it's never too late. Because there'll be more opportunities, there'll be more stress and more hardship in this week to come. So how are we going to react? The same way as we did last week? Or are we going to look at Paul in Philippians? Are we going to look at Paul and say, well, actually... Whatever happens, there is a positive to this. There will be an upside. Whatever happens, we can find God in this, and we can follow Him. Paul understood suffering. He understood the 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 sort of eternal narrative. He understood why suffering was necessary. Why sometimes we have to endure certain things as part of the bigger picture of God's plan for our lives. But Paul also knows that we are called to be obedient. The passage we looked at this morning began with a command to be obedient. If you love me, be obedient to my commands. Down at South Green, we followed the passage through to the point where Jesus actually crystallizes that command. Tell me what it is to love one another. That command is to love one another. Paul here in prison is showing love to the Philippians by not dwelling on himself, but by making sure that when they read that letter from this guy who's writing from a pretty, pretty poor conditions in a, in a dank, dark, gloomy prison, where he could have a death sentence about to be cast upon him, his days might be numbered, he has no idea what the future holds, this letter they receive, it could be one of self-pity, it could be a plea for them to do something, it could be a renouncement of faith, but no. It's not. It's one of the most positive, encouraging, uplifting pieces of writing that he ever penned. And that, in itself, is phenomenal, when we consider where he was writing from, the suffering he was enduring at the time. So how do we deal with suffering? We deal with it in a Paul-like manner. We acknowledge, yeah, we do suffer. Every day there are stresses and hardships that we have to cope with, but there is a way to respond. And that way is the example of Christ. Shortly, Ian is going to come and lead us around the communion table. Before he does, though, we've got one more song. As we prepare ourselves to sing that, we're going to, we're going to pray. In response to this lesson in suffering, which actually turns out to be a lesson in, in encouragement, a lesson in, in, in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I'm going to read the words of the song that we're about to sing as part of this prayer. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, feet. My saviour on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. Lord Jesus, we give thanks for what you have done for us. We give thanks that you endured that suffering for us, that you went to the cross willingly so that each one of us might be spared an eternity of suffering and have that replaced by an eternity with you in your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge this evening that there are so many times when we are faced with with stress and hardship and and difficult situations and we let you down. We don't deal with them in a way that honours you. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for that. And we pray that you'll help us to deal better with those situations. When the world looks for a Christian response, help us to provide one. Because we know, Father, that suffering is not what this faith is all about. This faith is a faith of good news. It's a faith of good news. Then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. He will return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And we will rise among the saints. Our gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. We praise the name of the Lord our God. We praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord our God. May this be our prayer. Amen.